Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me in them to John, John chapter 1. Uh, today we're finishing our series of sermons where we've been looking at various invitations uh, from the Gospels to come to Jesus. Uh, invitations to come and rest with him, to come and enjoy his banquet, to come and receive his compassion, come and fall at his feet, and as we heard last week, to come and feast on his words. Uh, this morning, our last invitation that we hear from John 1 is to come and see Jesus yourself. Uh, and just as a preview of what's up ahead for us in the new year, uh, next week we are returning to our series in 1 Timothy, um, where we've been looking at throughout the last uh, fall uh, season, what it means to live as God's household, what it means to be in his spiritual family. And so we're going to return to that next week, and then we're going to be in First Timothy for 10 weeks. It'll take us 10 weeks to finish the rest of the book, and that will lead us right up until uh, Palm Sunday. And so that's kind of where you can uh, expect us to be camped out, returning back to First Timothy. Uh, but today our attention is John chapter 1, uh, reading specifically verses 43 to 51. And so I invite you, if you're able to, to stand for the reading and the receiving of God's word and pray that the standing is not just an act that you mindlessly do, but through your physical posture, we show reverence for God's word. John chapter 1, reading verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more? Father, as we open up your word, we pray your word would open us up. And as you speak to us by your spirit through your word, speak to the things um, in our hearts that we're wrestling with, that we're struggling with, um, confirm the things um, that we ought to believe, correct the things we ought not to believe, uh, woo us and bring us uh, to your feet, that through your word we might know and encounter uh, Jesus and see him more clearly. We thank you for this time. Would you bless it as you speak to us now? by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, whether we realize it or not, all of us are natural evangelists to some extent. We love to share the good news of things we've seen or good news of things we've discovered or experienced. Um, the week after Christmas, Eunice and I went to watch a movie in theaters uh, together, and that was a big deal because uh, 
you know, 2023 was ending, and this was our first movie theater trip all year. We hadn't been to uh, the movies, and so we needed this to be a good choice. Like, what are we going to see? We don't want to waste our one trip to the theaters together on a not-so-good movie. And so at her brother's very high recommendation, we went to see the movie Godzilla Minus One. And we loved it. I mean, we absolutely loved it. And by the end of the movie, we both turned and looked at each other, and we were both in tears. Uh, And because we really enjoyed and loved the movie, we found ourselves talking about it. But every time we talked about it to everyone we shared it with, uh, we were met with skepticism. Godzilla? Really? A little smirk? A little laughter? How can a movie about a fictional prehistoric reptilian monster be any good? You see, because we weren't making the claim that it was an entertaining movie or that it was a fun movie. We were saying it was a great movie, a must-watch movie. And I won't lie, the responses I got uh, were a bit frustrating. You know, when you try to convince somebody that a movie is good, that they should watch it, that it's actually for their good, and they're unconvinced, they're skeptical, they're doubtful. It's a little frustrating. And so in the end, all I could say was, well, go and see it for yourself. You don't believe me, go and watch it. Because if I can't convince you, then the movie will convince you. And I'm sure you've had experiences like that yourself with all kinds of things. You rave about a book that you read or a restaurant you went to, a show you caught, a vacation spot you recently visited, a store that you discovered, and you're excited and you want to share it with others and you're telling them, but they don't believe you. And you realize at one point that no argument, no amount of evidence will convince that person. The only thing left is for them to go and experience it, for them to go and see it. The only way they'll be convinced is if they see it with their own eyes. And I begin that way because although that's true about many things in life, it's also true about the gospel. It's true about Christianity. It's true about Jesus. The best way to know Christ, the best way to believe in him, to trust in him, is to come and see him for yourself, to experience him for yourself. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is not about a proposition, but it's about a person. It's about Christ a person to know, a person to encounter, a person to talk to. And so as important as it is to consider him, it's more important to come to him because he's not just an idea to think about. He's a person to have a relationship with. And that's what we see going on in our passage today. We read about a man named Philip who came to know Jesus. And then he went to share the gospel, share this good news with Nathaniel. And Nathaniel doesn't believe, but he doesn't engage Nathaniel in a intellectual debate about Jesus. He wasn't trying to argue with Nathaniel. You see, Philip didn't want to be held or held hostage in the realm of ideas and thoughts. He wanted Nathaniel to know, talk to, hear from Jesus. And so as soon as he senses his skepticism and hesitation, he extends the invitation. All right, all right. Why don't you come and see for yourself? And that's our focus this morning. That's the gospel truth, the one-sentence summary of our sermon. Jesus invites you to come and see him for yourself. To everyone in this room, Jesus invites you to come and to see him for yourself. The passage begins like this. Jesus finds Philip, and he invites him into a life of discipleship. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So Philip follows him. And then next we read in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Now, in order to understand kind of what's going on here, you need to know that in the story right before this one, John introduced another encounter. And you'll see there are some parallels. In the previous story, Andrew meets Jesus. And when Andrew meets Jesus, he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus responds in verse 39, come and you will see. After Andrew is invited to come and see, then what does he do? He goes and he tells others about Jesus. So verse 41, then he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Did you see kind of what's happening here? There's a pattern being established. People encounter Jesus. They meet Jesus. Their life is changed. And then they go out and they share the gospel, the good news with others. So Andrew meets Jesus. Then he finds Simon Peter and shares the good news. And the very next story, Philip meets Jesus. And then what does he do? He finds Nathaniel and he shares the good news. And John's point is this. When you discover good news, it becomes shared news. Good news becomes shared news. Good news never remains secret news. It can't remain contained news. You share it. For example, every few months or so, uh, I receive a really important email from my best friend. Uh, many of you have met him. He's come and he's preached here a few times. Uh, and he sends me a really important email. And it's not an email uh, giving me updates about himself or his family. It's not an email sharing prayer requests with me or asking for my prayer requests. But it's an email he sends to me uh, that nonetheless shows me that he does love and he cares for me. Every few months or so, he forwards me an email from Slick Deals that's alerting me that Costco is having a sale on Kirkland golf balls, uh, and you need to get them now because they're only a dollar a ball. And I am so touched by this because I know he thinks about me. He knows how often and easily I lose golf balls. And so he makes sure to know, Andrew, these are on sale. You need to snatch them up quickly. Why? Good news is shared news. Doesn't remain secret news. When you receive good news, it must become shared news. Philip discovers something special. He's invited by Jesus into a life spent with him, a life of following him. And John doesn't tell us what went on in that interaction with Philip, but it doesn't matter because what we need to know as soon as Philip followed Jesus immediately, with whatever limited knowledge he has with Jesus, he already begins sharing the good news. So what does he do? He finds Nathaniel. He tells him what he's found. Now, Philip, in verse 45, when he refers to Jesus, says, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. And what does that mean? What he's claiming here is that Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament promised. You see, the law of Moses and the prophets was just a shorthand. It was a common way to refer to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Scriptures. And Philip is saying to Nathaniel, we found Jesus. We found the one in whom the Old Testament foretold and prophesied. And you have to understand, this is a huge claim. This is not like we found a dollar. We found, oh, guess who I ran into? This is, we have found the long-awaited chosen one, the anointed one promised from of old. And that's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means. It means the anointed one. So the question is, is this Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really the Christ? And for Nathaniel, it seems absurd. It seems unbelievable. He's thinking, there's no way, Philip, that he is who you says he is. And he makes it known. He doesn't hide it. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And this isn't a question asked in innocence or genuine sincerity. 
there's actually contempt behind what he's saying. There's a lot of doubt in the question. And the reason that Nathaniel is skeptical, the reason he doesn't believe is really for two reasons. The first reason is unmet expectations. The Messiah coming from Nazareth didn't meet any of Nathaniel's expectations because Nazareth was this obscure little town in the district of Galilee. You don't know anything and you don't read anything else about this town anywhere else in the Bible. It had no notoriety, no reputation, no claim to fame. It was despised. It was held in contempt. And so how could the long-awaited promised Messiah of God, the Lord's anointed one, come from Nazareth? It just didn't make sense. And it was a stumbling block to Nathaniel. It made him harder. It made it harder for him to believe what Philip was saying. And add to that, you know, Philip identifies Jesus as the son of Joseph. And Joseph, if you remember, was a common carpenter. He wasn't from royalty. He wasn't from nobility. He was of no prestige. Jesus, the Messiah is from this common family. And so the very humble origins of Jesus was so unexpected. Nathaniel said, I, I can't believe that is true. The second reason is actually personal bias. Nathaniel had in him deep-rooted personal bias against Nazareth. Because you read at the end of the Gospel of John, John 21, you read that Nathaniel was from a town called Cana in Galilee. Now, the little detail doesn't seem like much, but it actually helps us understand uh, Nathaniel's comment here because Nazareth and Canaan were both little towns in the district of Galilee. And as little small towns, they had something of a rival with one another. So you sort of imagine like homecoming season, right? And the annual high school football game against these two rival schools that have been going on for years, right? Neighboring towns with a long tradition and, and a history of Rivals. I went to an all-boys school in Baltimore growing up, and we had the rival school. And every year at the pep rally for that, uh, we had the mascot of that school, one of our own students dressed as a mascot. And then we had our lacrosse players come out and beat that mascot with lacrosse sticks. And that was the way you got everyone pumped up. You despised the other school. You despised the rival. In the same way, Cana was a rival to Nazareth. But... Cana was actually uh, more prominent simply because it was closer to the route that many visitors and travelers went down. And so more people would stop by Cana. And so those from Cana thought that they were more significant, more important. And then they looked over at Nazareth and they said, that backwater town, that's hillbilly country. So Nathaniel, in his mind, had these two reasons, two reasons to doubt, two reasons for hesitation. How could this Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph, really be the promised Messiah? And we're going to pause right here and just think about this, because if you strip down the elements, the, the, the story down to its core elements, here's what you get. Uh, Philip approaches Nathaniel with good news, but it's not good news to Nathaniel, at least not yet. And Nathaniel has reasons to not buy into it, not believe it. He has reasons why he's skeptical and suspicious. But that's kind of what's going on in the story. And we just stop there and we, we think, you know, I think there are some of you a lot like Nathaniel. Most likely your reasons for being hesitant about Jesus are not the same as Nathaniel's, but you have some. 
there are reasons why you hear the gospel and it doesn't seem like good news to you. The reality is it's, it's not uncommon to have doubts. It's not uncommon to have questions and uncertainties about the claims of Christianity, about Jesus. You know, whether you identify as Christian or not, I think we all have them. We all wrestle with them. And the question is, what are those things that are keeping some of you from Jesus? What are those reasons that are keeping you in unbelief, keeping you away? Well, for those of you who say that you are Christians, you grew up in the church, what are those reasons that are keeping you sort of at a distance from Jesus? What are the things that are keeping you from going all the way with him, from giving your life entirely over to him, from taking your faith more seriously? You know, the obstacles that Nathaniel had may not be the same obstacles that you have, but I'm sure there are certain things that are keeping you from coming to Jesus and finding your rest in him, from enjoying his banquet, from receiving his compassion, or from falling at his feet, from feasting on his words. The question is, what's really keeping you from coming to Jesus? And could it be the presence of suffering in your life? Or could it be that long list of unanswered prayer requests? Maybe what's keeping you from Jesus is all the guilt and the shame you feel for the things you've done and the way you've lived. Maybe you're keeping your distance from Jesus because you don't want to give control over to him. Maybe some of you have been burned by the church in the past and your history is full of hurtful things experienced in the church or hurtful words heard from Christians. And so you refuse to believe the good news of Jesus is actually good at all. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're keeping from Jesus because you're really stuck on some of those really big questions like how can God be good and all-powerful and yet allow suffering? Is he not all-powerful or is he not all good? Or how can a God claim that he is love and he's loving and yet still send people to hell just because they don't believe in him? Or how do I know Christianity is the only one true religion? There are so many religions in the world. Does that mean they're all wrong? It's not uncommon for both Christians and non-Christians, to have questions and doubts. That can be a normal part of healthy spirituality. Having questions, having doubts, wrestling with these things can actually make your faith stronger and more resilient. But what I'd like you to know is this, the presence of questions and doubts aren't the issue. It's what you do with them that is more important. Because if you have, have these obstacles, these suspicions, these hesitations, but they force you to keep a closed mind, they're used as an excuse to keep away from God, to keep Jesus at an arm's length, and yeah, they'll destroy your faith. They'll choke out your faith. And so we must not try to settle all of these doubts and suspicions and answer all the questions and then come to Jesus. Instead, we must learn to come to Jesus and let him settle them for us. You see, how does Philip respond to Nathaniel? How would you respond? Philip responds with three simple words. Verse 46, come and see. He doesn't argue Nathaniel into the faith. He doesn't debate Nathaniel to show him why he's wrong. In fact, he doesn't even seem to try and provide an answer because he realizes this. He realizes 
an encounter with Jesus is going to be far more convincing than any evidence or proof that he can provide. So he extends the invitation. Why don't you come and see for yourself? Why don't you come and talk with him and listen to him yourself? Why don't you bring those questions and fears, hesitations, suspicions, and doubts? Why don't you bring those to him and see what happens? And his answer is so wise. And so it'd be wise for us to listen because if Philip is essentially saying to Nathaniel, and he's really saying to all of you here today, don't keep your distance because you have questions. Come to Jesus because you have questions. Don't try to figure it all out before you come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and he'll help you figure it all out. You see, that's my prayer for us as a church in the new year. Now, whether Christian or not, whether you're uncertain or doubting, whether you're unsure and questioning, that you'd find yourself coming to Jesus and not walking away from him. That all of us would find ourselves taking one step closer to him, one more step in his direction, leaning in a little bit more to catch a glimpse of him. Because here's what you need to notice in this story, and it's really powerful. Nathaniel comes to faith not because his questions are answered, but because he meets Jesus. You see, when Nathaniel meets Jesus, when he encounters him, when he experiences him, when he sees and knows him, the questions and the hesitancies, they just kind of go away. What happens in the story? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Basically what that means is it's not that Nathaniel is sinless or that he's guiltless. It means Nathaniel is straightforward. He's saying, Nathaniel, I can see your heart. I know what's going on in your heart. You're not a man who harbors deceitful schemes. You're a genuine person. And by saying this, Jesus is proving, look, I'm the one who sees hearts. I discern motives. I know intimate things about you. And Nathaniel is stunned. He's surprised. So he says in verse 48, how do you know me? And the verse continues, Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And this time Jesus saying, not only do I see and know what's going on in your heart, I know your circumstances. I know your situations. I know all that's going on in your life. I know exactly what you're going through. And Nathaniel And that moment is completely won over. And he responds in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, let me ask you this. Where and when did Nathaniel sit down with Jesus and say, all right, listen, Jesus, my friend Philip over there, he's made some astounding claims about you, but but I have some questions for us because Philip... Philip is gullible. Philip is the guy who responds to the Nigerian prince who needs his bank account number because, you know, the inheritance is tied up. Yeah, I'm not like Philip. I'm a little sharper. I have a few questions. Read the story. Where does Nathaniel get his questions answered? Where does Nathaniel's doubts get assuaged? Where does his hesitation get quelled? Because nowhere in the story do we read that Nathaniel sat down with Jesus and that Jesus answered all of his questions And yet Nathaniel believes. He comes to faith. His heart is given over to Christ. And the question is, why? How did that happen? The reason is that once Nathaniel meets and encounters Jesus, once he experiences what it is to know and be known by Jesus, to see and to be seen by Jesus, all of those obstacles, all of those excuses are no longer important to him. 
his questions are overshadowed by the overwhelming reality that Jesus is who he said he is. And Nathaniel now knows it. And so even if he has questions, even if he has reasons to keep away from Jesus, he knows they're not legitimate enough to stay away from Jesus. You see, friends, this is what happens when you come and you see Jesus for yourself. All of those issues, they're somehow taken care of. And you may be thinking, well, you know, here's the difference. And it's a clear one. Nathaniel went and he literally physically saw and met Jesus. He heard his voice. He touched him in the flesh. He spoke with him. But that's not possible for us. I mean, you say, come and see Jesus. Well, if you show me Jesus, yeah, sure, I'll come and believe. I'll give my life to him. To which I'd respond, no, friends, you can see and hear and meet with Jesus just as powerfully and just as vividly as Nathaniel did. How? You read his word and you speak to him in prayer. And some of you are thinking, okay, well, that's an easy cop-out. That's an easy answer. If you don't believe me, don't debate me. If you don't believe me, don't argue with me. If you don't believe me, go and try it for yourself. Come and see Jesus yourself. Set aside time to come to Jesus and hear him speak through his word. Set aside time to speak to him in prayer. I promise you, you'll experience and encounter Jesus in as powerful and personal and vivid of a way as Nathaniel did. Because when we do the power of the Holy Spirit being present with us, it takes the words of scripture we read so that we hear as clearly as hearing the voice of Jesus. And then as we pray to him, the spirit takes our prayer and makes it crystal clear to him. You'll discover in coming and seeing Jesus that he is the one who knows your heart and he sees exactly where you are. He is alive today just as he was 2,000 years ago. See, friends, this very day, Jesus does speak to you through his word and you really do speak to him through prayer. And the Scottish pastor Sinclair Ferguson tells a story uh, that on one Saturday evening around 9 p.m., uh, he was home and he had just finished a bath. And when he got out, he heard a loud and nonstop banging at his front door. And startled uh, and still in his bathrobe, he opened the front door to find a church member there huffing and puffing. And he's so surprised. And he says, can I help you? To which the man responds simply, give it to me. And he was confused and shocked. And so Pastor Sinclair says, what are you talking about? Tell me, and if I have it, I'll give it to you. And the man simply responded, I know you have it. You better give it to me. And Sinclair Ferguson goes on to tell the story, um, explaining that essentially this church member had thought Sinclair had somehow got a hold of his personal diary. Uh, and the reason he thought this is because over the past several weeks during the Sunday preaching, the man had been so convicted by the word of God that he was convinced that somehow Sinclair Ferguson had stolen, accessed his diary, and had been reading his secret thoughts. And Ferguson basically concludes what was going on. He says the living Christ was speaking through his living word. 
So this man was experiencing the same truth that Nathaniel experienced. He was known and seen by the living Christ. See, friends, this year, would you come and see Jesus for yourself and meet him in his word and know that he really does know and see you? Leave whatever excuses and reasons you have. You may think they're legitimate, legitimate reasons to keep away from God or keep God away from you, but lay them aside and just come. Take one step closer to him. Open his word and hear his voice. Open your mouth and pray to him. And you'll discover that the news is good news. Jesus Christ really does know and see you. And I'll end because the story doesn't quite end there. And I'll end with this, just this last little section. Nathaniel expresses his faith. And then Jesus says one last thing in verse 51. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus alludes, this is the very last thing he says in this encounter, but he alludes to a story in Genesis about the patriarch Jacob who has a dream. And let me just read that for you, Genesis 28, verse 12. And he, Jacob, dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. But here's the interesting thing about the narrative in Genesis 28. Verse 12 tells us that Jacob had a dream, but what does verse 16 say? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. You see, Jacob had to wake up because this was only a dream. But here in John chapter 1, Jesus is basically saying to Nathaniel, I am Jacob's dream come true. I am the dream become reality. How? Because you notice in verse 51, there's no mention of a ladder. There's only mention of the Son of Man. And that's because Jesus is saying, I'm the one who connects heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who came from heaven to earth so that all who come and seek me and find me might know me. You know, how is it possible that you and I can come to Jesus? Well, if it was just a ladder that you needed to climb to get to him, there was no way that you could have climbed. And so what did Jesus do? He tore the heavens open and he came down to us. He knew you could never reach him on your own. He knew that you could never ascend the hill of the Lord. No amount of effort or attainment of knowledge could ever get you to him. So what did he do? He opened the heavens and he came to us. And he came to us that we might be able to come to him. You see, notice that Nathaniel coming to faith, it was actually the result of a chain reaction. But what was the cause of that chain reaction? It wasn't Nathaniel seeking Jesus. It wasn't even Philip finding Nathaniel. The first cause was Jesus himself. Because how does the story start in verse 43? He found Philip. Jesus found Philip. Jesus came into the world to find us and to be found by us. And he's revealed himself now more alive than ever in his word. And he invites you this morning, come and see. In this new year, don't let there be obstacles that keep you away from him. Let the obstacles lead you to him. Don't let the questions keep you away from him, but come to him with the questions. In this new year, would you come and see Jesus yourself? Pray with me.